Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, which we are calling Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto, uh, because he is our donkey messiah, right? Riding into town on a donkey to show us the kind of kingdom he was bringing. Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount is him telling us what life in his kingdom is supposed to be like. And uh, within this set of teachings in the book of Matthew, uh, is a template prayer that Jesus gives us that we often call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and we're working our way through that one here. <clears throat> so have any of you ever been on the receiving end of someone saying, all right, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Anybody been on the receiving end of that? I, I have. Um, which do you usually say, can I have a hand? Who says I want the bad news first? Right, who says I want the good news first? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a bad news first guy. Um, or, uh, yeah, and then, and then the good, because the good that I get afterwards kind of tempers the effect of bad news, the, the blow that I just got. It's kind of like you know, somebody punching you in the face and then giving you an ice pack for it. It's like, thanks. But the good news, bad news things, it's never, it's never something really good, right? They're never both really good things. It's never something like, well, the good news is... A wealthy real estate magnate just died and left you with $100 million. That's the good news. The bad news is we can only give it to you in $5 million installments each month. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's the legal stuff, you know, it's just red tape. It's never something like that, right? But today's topic is kind of some good news, bad news kind of stuff. Um, as I said, we're back in the Lord's Prayer this morning in verse 12. Uh, this prayer shows us a, a good process to follow in our prayers. Um, and at the beginning, we, we start off with worship of God as both Father and Sovereign Lord. Right? We talk about our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, right? Uh, then we pray uh, a missional prayer for his cause, his mission, his will to be done right here. And for us to be a part of that. Then we pray for his provision in our lives. No more than for today and no more than to cover our needs. And then we get to today's part. So let's read the prayer from the beginning in Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 9. It says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Our debts. A debt is something that you owe, something you have to repay. And we're asking God to forgive us something that we owe him. Now, what could we possibly owe God? Right? Well, anytime we do not put God in his rightful place as ruler in our lives... We steal glory that is due only to him. If God truly is our king, as we say in the first line of this prayer, who is in heaven, right? He is sovereign ruler. Then anytime we act not in accordance with what he wants, it is in essence treason. That's what's happening. We've stolen glory, respect, 
honor, dedication, obedience. We owe him our very lives. But we can't pay back the debt that we owe. So we're asking that it be forgiven. We're asking that the death penalty that we owe be stricken from the record. Have you ever thought about the audacity of that request? It's like, hey, hey, God, yeah, so, so you remember that I deserve, like, death and everything? Yeah, could we, could I not do that? How's that sound, right? It's ridiculous. The crazy part about this, though, is that he loves us so much that he's just like, yeah, that was my plan all along. Like, your death wouldn't be enough to cover your sins. So I got this. I got this. And his physical act of forgiveness of our debt is seen on the cross. Because that's where he took the death that we should have died. But it's more than a judicial forgiveness that we need, right? It, it's more than... I've stolen something or I owe something and I can't pay it back, so I need forgiveness of that debt. It's more than that. All right, so a little illustration here. Let's say you're just learning how to drive and you borrow your parents' car for the evening and you wreck it. I'm sure this has never happened to any of you, but hypothetically, you're in high school, right? You got no money, you can't pay for the damage. But your parents come in and pay what you owe for the damage that you did. That payment is no longer on your head. That's the judicial kind of forgiveness. And we need that, right? It's important. It's necessary. But what about the relationship with your parents? Right? There, there's a relational forgiveness that you need in order to maintain that relationship of love and trust with your parents. There's that added component of forgiveness that we need as well. And the fortunate thing about this is that God wants to give both kinds of forgiveness to those who ask. Now, um, a little side note here, and we'll get back to this. Uh, passage here in a second, but a little side note about asking for forgiveness. Uh, when you're making an apology to a person, it is best not actually to ask for forgiveness, but rather to apologize, to say, I'm sorry, and to take responsibility for your actions and behaviors. Now, why is that? Well, because the person that you're apologizing to may not be in a position emotionally or mentally to give that forgiveness in that moment. Right, so when you say, will you forgive me, it puts them in this awkward position that they may not be ready for, and any verbal forgiveness given at that point might be insincere, it might not be fully met, meant, you know. They might, they might be ready to give a full forgiveness later, but you've, you've been preparing for that moment, Right? But you may, might be springing it on somebody for the first time. So we need to simply apologize, take responsibility, and leave the forgiveness to them. So 
All we have control over is our apology, and their forgiveness comes when they are ready to give it. But the cool thing with God is that we can ask for forgiveness. Yes, we, we own up to our stuff and we apologize, but we can ask forgiveness because he is already determined to give it. He decided a long time ago to give it to whomever would ask it from him. The death of Jesus in our place where we should have been sealed the deal for anyone who would come to God for forgiveness. Now that is awesome news. Right, that's good news. In fact, it is the good news, right? It's the gospel. Right? It is the message of reconciliation, God making us right with him again. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death we should have died, and he rose again to give us hope. That's the good news. But remember I said that there is also some bad news too, right? It always feels good. It feels like good news to hear that God is ready and willing and wants to forgive us. You know, we're sitting here, yes, amen, that's good. But to me, it kind of feels like bad news when I realize that I need to be forgiven. Right? Yay, God, giving forgiveness. Shoot, I need that forgiveness. Coming to the realization that you need forgiveness is humbling. It kind of hurts. Right? It's, not, it's not fun. Going back to that illustration with your parents' car, right? You probably would feel like garbage knowing that you needed that kind of forgiveness. I think about the kind of knot in your stomach you'd be feeling, the, the heat in your cheeks as you make that first phone call. Hey, Dad, remember that car that you really like? Hey, remember that son you really love? Yeah. <laughs> you know? that's, that's awful, you know? And, but it's a huge relief when it comes to you, but it doesn't feel great to know that you need it. But listen, to be human is to need forgiveness. You will never be so perfect that you don't need to be forgiven by God, by other people, by yourself. Now listen, our ability to humble ourselves and admit our faults and wrongs shows our level of spiritual maturity. <laughs> did he say that? Yes, I did. <laughs> say it again. Did you hear that? Our ability to humble ourselves and admit our faults or wrongs shows our level of spiritual maturity. Not how many times we come to church each month. Not how much we tithe. I mean, those can help. Those are good things. But our ability, our ability to extend forgiveness is also a huge barometer of that, right? And we'll talk about that next week. 
But I think asking for forgiveness from God and humbling ourselves to others shows our spiritual maturity even more because in the typical circumstance, it's much harder to ask for forgiveness than to forgive. Now, there are obviously times when extending forgiveness is massively difficult. I don't want to ignore that. But at least for me personally, I think asking for forgiveness is the more difficult. Why is that? Well, it's because when, when we forgive, when we are the forgivers, we're almost in a position of authority. You know, we, we're in the position of not being the one who wronged. You know, it, it shows others that we're taking the high road. <laughs> right? We've got the moral high ground when we are forgiving. People can see our forgiveness and celebrate it. But when people see that we need to be forgiven, that means you done messed up. Right? You've been brought low. It's humbling and humiliating. There is no room for pride when you're acknowledging your need for forgiveness. Ego, self-importance, they all have to go away, at least for the moment. <laughs> When you do this, there is no better tool for growing in humility than asking for forgiveness from God and making amends to someone that you've wronged. And it's this act of understanding and humility and responsibility that shows, again, our level of spiritual maturity. Because to be a Christian, to be a Christian is to be forgiven. Right? If you claim to be follow, a follower of Jesus and, and his, then that means that you've acknowledged that you need to be forgiven. It, we can't become a follower of Jesus without acknowledging our need for forgiveness. It's the very entry requirement to becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus. To recognize that I'm messed up, I can't save myself, is to, to, to humble myself and say that I need a Savior who's bigger than me. Yet, somehow... We start, after we've been a Christian for a little while, we start looking down our noses at those who are messed up, like we are, who, who need to be forgiven, like we do. Right? It gets ridiculous. To be human is to need forgiveness. That's the bad news. And if you haven't needed to be forgiven of something lately. You're wrong. <laughs> and I'm not trying to like instill this false sense of guilt here, you know, that's something that the church over the years has been accused of, right? Just making people feel guilty. I'm not trying to just make people feel guilty. What I'm trying to do this morning is to open our eyes to the fact that none of us are perfect and we need to be forgiven. This shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Right? None of us is good enough. None of us is moral enough. None of us is nice enough. Because salvation goes beyond more than anything we do. It goes beyond our actions. Your good deeds might outweigh your bad deeds a hundredfold. A million times over. But in the end, none of us are perfect. 
And as we saw earlier in the series, perfection is still the standard. Which is why Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live and gave it to us on our behalf. He lived the perfect obedience. He lived our perfect obedience, right, that we said earlier. But it goes deeper than moral perfection anyway. Right? It goes down to our nature, our essence. We are fallen and broken in our nature. Our default is selfishness. Our default is pride. My default is worry about me and my own. I'm broken. C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, thinker, theologian, talks about the difference between doing wrong things and going deeper in seeing our nature. He says this in his book, Mere Christianity. We begin to notice, besides our particular sinful acts, our sinfulness. We begin to be alarmed not only about what we do, but about what we are. This may sound rather difficult, so I will try to make it clear from my own case. This is, again, C.S. Lewis talking. When I come to my evening prayers and try to reckon up the sins of the day, Nine times out of ten, the most obvious one is some sin against charity or love. I've sulked or snapped or sneered or snubbed or stormed. And the excuse that immediately springs to my mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected. I was caught off my guard. I had not time to collect myself. Now, that may be an extenuating circumstance as regard these particular acts. They surely obviously would be worse if they had been deliberate and premeditated. On the other hand... Surely what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. The rats are always there in the cellar. But if you go in shouting and noisily, they will have taken cover before you switch on the light. <laughs> to be human is to need forgiveness. And it's hard to ask for forgiveness sometimes, isn't it? And it's hard to humble yourself to another person, let alone to God. But every time our heart breaks in humility, every time, then our brokenness as sinful people is mended a little bit more. Every time our heart breaks in humility, our brokenness as sinful people is mended a little bit more. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That's Titus 3. 
when hearing about the topic of forgiveness, it's easy, I know for me, to jump to who do we need to forgive. Right, and that's good. Well, again, we'll talk about that next week. But we can't truly forgive others unless we've come to accept the forgiveness of God for ourselves and understand that we need it. We can't give what we haven't received. Only then can we approach forgiving others without a sense of pride, without a sense of being on some moral higher ground. We're just one broken and forgiving sinner offering to someone else the same forgiveness that we've been given ourselves. We are all fellow fallen image bearers. To be human is to need forgiveness. So where do you need to be forgiven? Where do you need to approach God for forgiveness? Where do you need to where do you need forgiveness from another person? Can you go to them, humble yourself, and make an apology? Now it won't feel good. <laughs> I'll tell you that in advance, right? I can I can tell you from personal experience that while apologizing and taking responsibility for a wrong sucks, being forgiven feels amazing. It won't feel good to make the apology, to admit your garbage and own up to it. But being forgiven is one of the best feelings in the world. It is amazing to have someone who knows the worst about you still loves you anyway. And no one knows us better than God. And his love is bigger than anything we can imagine. Let's close our time together by praying this prayer together on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, we... Uh, <laughs> This is, a, this is a tough one. God, in theory, we all know, hey, yeah, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. But when we start getting specific, that's where it starts to hurt a little bit. So God, I pray that you help us, give us eyes to see. God, as C.S. Lewis was talking about, at the end of the day, reckoning his sins of the day, may you help us do that. Have, give us the courage to face ourselves. Give us the courage to see where we messed up, where we've hurt someone else, where we've been prideful, and our hearts are outwardly to others. God, if we want to change, it's got to start with an honest reckoning of where we are right now. So, Father... We know, we thank you for the fact that when we come to you and ask forgiveness, you have already determined to give it to us. Thank you for that forgiveness. Let us walk in the humility 
and gratitude of that knowledge. May we live joyful and free lives, free from the chains of our guilt and our shame that your forgiveness can give us. Your forgiveness can give us that freedom. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.